0: will be driving forces with jeff simmons and as the show continues well as the show is on the air please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station by calling 516-620-3602 all right let's start this program stay tuned for driving forces with jeff simmons coming up
1: forces. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. And I thank you for tuning in to WBAI's Driving Forces today. You are just listening to Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Remember, as Reggie has pointed out as well consistently, we're also streaming live always at WBAI.org. So I hope you're tuning in either by listening to the radio, listening on your computer, listening on your cell phone while you're streaming us live. Thank you so much for tuning in this afternoon to our show about politics and policy. I mean, what a great two weeks to discuss what we have have been talking about what is taking place on a national stage, even if these two signature events, the Democratic and Republican conventions, are all virtual, and much of what we're seeing was actually pre-recorded and uh, not live, not like we're used to. Now, I've been watching both and flipping back and forth between different channels on TV to see how the speeches are being covered, going back and forth between MSNBC and New York One. Uh, And of course, I've been tuning into Fox as well just to see what they're covering, how even some fact checking has been going on regarding each speaker. And it has been a a pleasure to see that, to realize that my instincts are right when I'm hearing a number of these speakers speak and go, wait, that doesn't sound right. So what's been astounding also to me this week as I've watched a number of the supporters of Donald Trump deliver remarks, is how much has been glossed over, how much has been ignored, and how much has been distorted. Now, I do understand that many of these remarks were taped before they aired on television, and I do wanna point out that Vice President Mike Pence did revise his remarks Wednesday night to address the uprising in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and also to talk about Uh, the storm that was approaching uh, the United States and that he did uh, offer his thoughts uh, to those who were in the path of the storm. So, but while he also did acknowledge uh, what has been going on in our country and in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and this is referring to the death of Jacob Blake, yet another black man killed, shot seven times at the hands of yet another police officer. He did not address the shooting itself, but rather the violence that has erupted uh, and the uprising that has erupted since then. Instead, much of his remarks hinged on a single line which struck a theme that a number of others have touched on this week as well. A Joe Biden presidency uh, would be one that's guided by the radical far left, uh, you know, as it's been characterized, and that you and all of us would be safer under a Trump presidency. I mean, what we've heard this week conflicts. Often with the reality of what many of us, many of you, your families, your friends, your coworkers have been facing this year, or maybe not even just this year, but what you've witnessed and encountered over the last few years, uh, as you've seen your rights uh, being being scaled uh, black on. Uh, and by the way, I've said the death uh, of Jacob Blake. Sorry, I meant the shooting of Jacob Blake. I just want to uh, correct myself there. Consider that this week. We are now at around 170,000 deaths as a result of more than that now of COVID-19. Consider that just over 1 million Americans filed new claims for state jobless benefits last week, the latest sign that the economy is losing momentum even as federal aid to the unemployed has been pulled away. And consider that experts predict that the pandemic's effect on our economy is going to last not just through this year into early 2021, but continue for years. You don't have to imagine it. It's what you see every single day as you walk around now, as you get outside and you see that local establishments that you've gone to over the years are now shut down. When you see people standing on a food line or the unemployment line, people are struggling. But as you listen to the convention this week, I wonder if you're as troubled as I am that history is being rewritten, where a president, you know, where it's being characterized as a president who quickly responded to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, a president who's improved our global relations, and that the problem isn't systemic racism or an overreaction of law enforcement, but a radical left that promotes violence. Well, I like to say that facts matter to me and alternative facts may matter to others. And I do recognize that at this time, this is a week, this is a period when I would love to be able to take listener calls. But as you all know, we're remote now amid this pandemic. So hopefully this fall, as we lead up to the presidential election to November 3rd, hopefully we'll be able to take your calls again because I do wanna hear your points. Now throughout the show, I will come back to some of the, the news developments that have happened in the last few days But I want to get, I've got two fantastic guests today. We're at a pivotal pivotal moment in our country's history. So I don't need to tell you this. You may feel this as well. So it's great to be able to have these two guests, one after the other, who are incredibly insightful. Whenever I catch them on TV or read some of what they've written, I stop and listen because they make sense. So my first guest is Bob Hart. Bob has been a fixture at the 24 news channel Spectrum News New York One since 2003. He is the political director. He has overseen New York One's coverage of local, state, and national politics. He supervises the production of the nightly show Inside City Hall, hosted by Errol Lewis and his colleagues when they fill in. That is the station's nightly hour long news and opinion program. Bob has also planned coverage of major events at New York One, including the mayoral debates and the presidential conventions. And he shares his analysis and opinions on the weekend politics in his popular ongoing column called Political Buzz. Bob, welcome back to Driving Forces.
2: Uh, Jeff, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me uh, this afternoon.
1: So New York One's coverage, before I get into specifics about your impressions of the RNC and DNC, before I get those thoughts themselves, New York One's always provided wall-to-wall coverage of conventions in the past. So talk a bit about how you have had to adapt your coverage at this time.
2: So this is my fifth convention cycle at New York One, and it's easily the most different Usually, I'd be talking to you right now from a skybox in some uh, arena. In this case, it would have been in Charlotte, where I'd be talking to you uh, from. We'd be doing our our show uh, from there inside City Hall, and then we would be giving uh, probably two to three hours of uh, coverage of the events from the convention floor, uh, bringing in speakers. Uh, It's very vibrant. As anyone who's watched past political conventions, uh, but this is the first one where I'm sort of running things or supervising from uh, a living room uh, and and a television (laughs) thing uh, uh, is a wonderful app on my phone where we have a virtual control room where we have what we we would call listen keys and talk keys. And so that part is very similar, that activity, but it is very weird not uh, watching stuff uh, from a convention floor in a skybox and instead uh, doing it from my living room. And basically, Sort of a curating uh, a two hour or two and a half hour nightly television show, either put out by the Democrats or the Republicans.
1: So, I mean, given that you can't have folks in a convention hall, you know, t- TV crews as well, you can't have folks in a convention hall since so much now is virtual and pre recorded. How would you say that both the RNC and the DNC have adapted as you look at this through the lens of television?
2: I think they've both done a, a decent job. I mean, it's a real challenge, and the Democrats had to go first, and the Republicans could learn from some of the mistakes. I, I think, um, but at, at their worst, they're sort of like a, a telethon or an infomercial, and at their best, it's been interesting TV. I think the Democratic uh, state roll call vote, where they where they nominate uh, where they nominate the president um, uh, for you know, Joe Biden, uh, the when Biden was nominated. It went very well. And it usually would be something that's sort of boring, but instead was sort of exciting because you had 50 different video presentations from the states and in different places. And we got the when we got to uh, one state, we had the guy with the, the giant uh, platter of calamari and it became this viral moment on <laughs> social media with calamari. man. So, I mean, that went well. And I thought also for Joe Biden, when he finished and they had the uh, the, the celebration for him with people in their cars honking, that went very well, too, that that sort of spoke to all of us who've had to sort of adapt and change during uh, the coronavirus. Uh, I think the the strong moments on TV uh, for Trump have been the the reality TV moments. um, While some people may roll their eyes where the president is swearing in citizens uh, or pardoning someone, it's very dramatic. And also having Melania Trump uh, in the Rose Garden uh, with, with people there, Uh, is also very dramatic. I thought Fort McHenry worked pretty well with Mike Pence last night, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of imagery uh, for the president tonight. But the one thing that really strikes me, uh, Jeff, is that coronavirus is is very present and on people's minds at the Democratic Convention. You see a lot of masks. At one point I saw Joe Biden holding a mask. I don't even know why. He was with Jill and no one else. There's almost not a mask to be seen at the Republicans. I mean, you can look and can find one, but it's like, where's Waldo? Um, And it's almost two realities that that coronavirus is almost spoken about in the past tense, the Republican and the present tense at the the Democratic.
1: And that's such a good point, because as uh, Mike Pence finished last night and then Donald Trump and Melania walked out as well and, and stood only feet from some of the attendees. I barely saw masks. Now I did see one or two a short while later while I watched a commentator on, on another channel speaking right behind her. I noticed two people having masks, but in large measure in that crowd, very few people had them. It, It was, it was kind of shocking to me. So you've pointed to some of the, these moments that have stood out, starting with, I mean, the RNC. Have there been specific speakers that you felt you know, have, have most resonated with or would most resonate
2: with uh, the people that they're trying to appeal to this week? So the red meat, almost all the speeches, the major speeches have been red meat attacking Joe Biden relentlessly uh, and also talking up uh, the president, but more going after Biden. The, the speech, I think, that was most effective if you're looking to, to, to target the handful of undecided voters who are left, I think Melania Trump's speech uh, was the strongest. She didn't mention Joe Biden at all. She talked uh, with compassion about the victims of the coronavirus in a way that you rarely have heard uh, talked about in the rest of the convention. She definitely was putting an olive branch out there to Americans who may not have voted for Donald Trump. The Trump model often has been love me or leave me rather than saying, hey, I want to I'm a uniter, not a divider in George W. Bush's words. So I think if if you're reaching out for the undecided Melania's uh, uh, was the best. And so far, if you like the red meat, um, I, I think uh, Mike Pence was probably the, the strongest uh, that we heard. And it was, like I said, I mean, the, the, he, the fact that he was saying that uh, Joe, the, Joe Biden's America wouldn't be safe and also kind of saying, hey, we're gonna we're probably going to have a cure for the, uh, for the virus by the end of the year or, um, also kind of uh, was an eye-popping moment for me.
1: Uh, agreed. You know, it was also very... Uh, uh Interesting for me was watching how many uh, women he has featured as speakers, showcasing how supportive or talking about how supportive he has been of women.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, There's a massive gender gap if you look at polling right now with women and men. Trump is leading uh, strongly with men, uh, and Biden is strongly leading with women. And there were so many testimonials uh, by uh, different Trump staffers about how much he's done for women and almost like he's a pioneer that you'd almost forget that he prevented Hillary Clinton, who would have made history as the first woman president. So uh, th- that's sort of just a side note, but it sort of uh, was sort of shocking to me that, hey, you know, if this guy loves women so much, why was he talking about locking Hillary up all the time? And I guess you could say he doesn't agree with her politics, but still, that was, it would have been a historic moment that uh, he prevented
1: So you mentioned Mike Pence's speech last night. It seemed that many remarks have kind of, I'm putting it this way, very uh, black and white here. Most have cast, you know, this is a difference between good and evil, you know, with Biden being beholden by the radical left if he would be elected. You know, and that you know, so you have to support Trump because you know, if you don't, we're gonna, you know, imagine what this nation's gonna be like. Imagine what our world will be like, but not acknowledging what the current reality is right now in our country. As you listened to Mike Pence last night, what were some of your observations?
2: Well, I mean, I think I'd like to just uh, totally agree with you that that you know, you talk about oh, the cities are going to be on fire if Joe Biden Joe Biden is president. Well, Donald, that's happening right now and Donald Trump's president. If, if you're looking at uh, the legacy so far of the Trump administration with corona, coronavirus, uh, we have w- one of the, the worst rates of infection death rates in the world. So we have to the, – the other, the other thing that I've noticed is that there is a, uh, a bit of uh, revisionism with the economy. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, oh, the economy was booming and doing so well before the coronavirus. That's, you know the economy was doing fine, but the growth rate that the four percent growth rate that the president had promised, we never hit. So there's either don't pay attention to coronavirus, or it's almost over. Uh, the the cities will burn even more uh, if Joe Biden is president. Uh, and then you know my strength is the economy, which is uh, I would say uh, partially true and partially untrue. What do you want to hear from President Trump tonight?
1: What do you th- you know? What do you think? Well, not just what he is going to focus on, because we can kind of uh, guess that he's going to talk about all of his accomplishments and achievements, but uh, what do you, what you know, what do you want to hear, or, or rather, what do you expect to hear from him tonight?
2: I mean, I don't know how many people listened on day one during the day to the Trump speech to the delegates in Charlotte, but it was so over the top uh, in that he was saying, if he loses. The only way he can lose is if the Democrats rig the election, which is really muddying the waters, I would say, in a dangerous way, and something you would never hear any president, presidential candidate, at least in modern times, uh, claim. So I'd like to know, are we going to get that Trump tonight, or are we going to get the teleprompter uh, uh, Trump who tries to be the good boy? But if that's the case, if he does stay on message and is positive, Then I would urge all voters to go back and listen to the other speech, the 52-minute speech he gave uh, on Monday. And there could be a Jekyll and Hyde moment. But I would argue that that is the real Trump, the Trump who basically just winged it on Monday. But who knows? We could get – if you remember the inauguration speech uh, uh, in in 2017, I thought that it would be uh, kind of an olive branch. And boy, was I wrong when we heard about American carnage. (laughs) From, from Donald Trump. So I'm wondering, will we hear American Carnage again tonight, or will we hear the, the uh, G rated Trump tonight?
1: Yeah, and I, I fully expect we're going to hear a lot about law and order tonight, looking at Kenosha, but also seeing the reaction that we've had to Mike Pence's remarks last night, where the president feels, you know, that's most resonating that I'm your law and order guy. Do you agree and not disagree with that? Yeah, I I, I
2: basically – here's the problem for Trump. His approval numbers are basically stuck at 42 percent. There's a a bunch of Americans who will always be on on his side, and then there's a handful who are mostly on his side. And then there's everyone else who's either can't stand him or might not be sure. So the problem – what he needs to do is drag down Joe Biden. He's never going to get to – he's never going to get to 50 what he needs to do is thread the needle like he did four years ago, which is certainly possible. Uh, maybe losing to Biden with a popular vote, but threading the needle and wing, winning some of these swing states like he did. But it's, it, if you look at polling right now, it's tougher. But I'm very, very curious. Wisconsin has been a, a very, very important state for both sides. It's only 10 electoral votes, but every, every electoral vote counts. And I have no idea. If anyone says, oh, this is how Wisconsin will play to the voters there, uh, uh uh, with everything in Kenosha, they don't know what they're talking about. It's, it, we won't. We won't know for a while what the, what all of this means. But Trump is banking on law and order helping him w- with scared suburban voters. And, and I just
1: felt like last week that. Uh with the Democratic National Convention, that there was so much uh, effort into the uh, put into the remarks to uh, make Joe Biden relatable—someone you know you could have a beer with, someone who cares, who is empathetic. Uh, do you think that that approach uh, positioned Joe Biden to uh, achieve significant gains in, in voter appeal?
2: It, if, if you watch the Republican Convention, yes, because suddenly we're hearing about compassion. Uh, and thing and other buzzwords uh, like compassion, uh, you know, caring. So, so clearly, they've done some polling and realized, hey, this this has an impact. And we we even heard Mike Pence sort of acknowledge that that you know that sometimes uh, Trump can be a little rough. And Pence was basically the sandpapered version last night of Donald Trump. I, I think that was helpful to Trump. So yes, I think the present the the presentation of Joe Biden being a nice guy and, and more than a guy you can have a beer with. By the way, Jeff, ironically, neither Biden nor Trump drinks. <laughs> that oh, yeah, I, you're I right, you're right. <laughs> I, I don't know when the last time that happened. I think you'd have to go back to Prohibition for that. But anyways, <laughs> I, I think it definitely has an impact with voters. It, it, it doesn't mean you, the guy who you don't want to have a beer with can't win, but it certainly helps uh, Joe Biden. And that's what we've been hearing a lot in the Republican convention, that you don't know the real Donald Trump. He actually cares and, and is a decent guy.
1: So when you look back at, you know, we, we still have a night to go, but when you're going to look back at this week's and last week's conventions, what do you
2: think the key t- take- takeaways are going to be? What are you going to remember most? Well, obviously the, the format, I mean, I, we've never seen anything like it. We may never see anything like it again. And also just the yin and yang of the of the approach of we, we have a, a pandemic striking the country that we haven't seen really in, in 100 years uh, anything like it. And the two different realities uh, that that if you were a Martian and you watched one convention, you'd think that, oh, my gosh, we might all die from the coronavirus. And then you'd watch the other convention and say, oh, well, they did a good job fighting it, and it's, I'm glad it's over. Um, so those are the, the two things, obviously, the pandemic, how the two parties uh, related to it, but also this, this unique format. But by the way, some of this format may be co-opted in future uh, conventions, some of the video innovations we're watching.
1: And so I just – we've got a few minutes left, and I want to ask some non-convention questions very briefly. But before I get to them, just what's on the horizon for New York One's coverage of the convention? Well, obviously, we're almost concluding with that. But in the coming weeks and months leading up to the general election, what can we expect as far as your coverage?
2: Well, the one thing that, as you know um – is that we're hyper-local. And so one of the big uh, congressional battles, uh, uh, one of the big swing districts is right here in our backyard uh, with Staten Island and a tiny bit of Brooklyn um, with with Max Rose, a Democrat, against Nicole Malliotakis, a Republican. And while Democrats do outnumber Republicans in Staten Island, Staten Island uh, voted for Trump last time. Uh, It voted for Obama once, it voted for McCain once. It's all over the map. I'm curious how Donald Trump does this time around. I still think he'll do pretty well in Staten Island, but not as well as last time. Will Max Rose be able to, to um, hold the district is a great, great question. So we'll be focusing a lot on that. And obviously, remotely, we'll be following the presidential race and looking at the roles of all these New Yorkers. I mean, for example, Jeff, our police, the head of our policing and Pat Lynch is speaking at the Republican convention tonight. As, far, as much as you try to get away from New York and some of these politicians roll their eyes at New York, New York always has a role. Look, look who, who started the convention, the, uh, Cardinal O'Connor that started the, uh, the invocation for the Republican convention. So we'll, we'll look at New York's role in, in both campaigns as well.
1: You know, and about that, uh, the race on Staten Island. As you mentioned that, what went through my mind is looking at Nicole's uh, ad that you put out a few days ago. Uh, that very frenetic uh, ad uh, in that race against Max Rose. That I would think, given the messaging that we're hearing from, uh, you know, from Mike Pence last night, of you know, the whole law and order thing. Um, that plays right into the type of voters that the RNC is going for as well. Do you think Nicole's approach has been right there?
2: I think it's a smart approach. I don't know if it sticks against a veteran like Max Rose. He's a canny politician. He isn't some tired Democratic incumbent. He, he's smart because you know just the fact that he won the first time shows he, know, he knows what he's doing. So it may not stick. I think that might help her. But, again, you need to win over some of the people who voted for him or help, or else help, hope they stay home.
1: So, obviously, and I've talked a lot about this on the show In the final minutes we have, this next year is just going to be incredible because in addition to a mayoral race, we have the majority of the city council seats that are going to be opening up. We have citywide positions as well and borough uh, presidencies that are going to be open. You know, given the momentum that we've been seeing in the progressive movement here in the city, what are you going to be looking at to see if that's the trajectory that's going to continue?
2: Well, I would have said six months ago that the mayoral race, the, the dynamics are sort of locked in and baked in. And we should point out also uh, to your listeners that everything is basically in a heavily Democratic city, will basically probably be decided in, a, in June. So seven months after the Democrat, the presidential race is over, we have some significant primaries going on. But going back to my original point, I think the coronavirus sort of blew everything up. And I think there is a real opening for a, a kind of a progressive candidate on the left who um, may not even be in the race yet. Uh, we, you know, you have a Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, you, you have city council speaker Corey Johnson, you have Scott Stringer, the city controller. Um, I think there's room for another candidate. Uh, you watch some of those primaries, the congressional primaries this June, there are some upsets by some uh, very smart, young, progressive candidates. And listen, I think that lane could be open. So I would not rule out another candidate who could sort of shake the race up uh, uh, moving forward. And I want to end on this note because, you know,
1: I've been fascinated by these stories, and I just shake my head each time. I've only been in New York for now about 23 years, maybe uh, – no, it's actually close to 25 years. Um, I'm reading all these New York is dead stories versus New York ain't dead stories. Well, your are lifetime New Yorker, if i correct. What goes through your mind when you read these pieces?
2: I moved here in 1987, so I'm almost, almost, that's a long, <laughs> that's a long time, but, but, but uh, most, most of my life uh, here. Um, I, I, I'm a history buff, so I look back to New York City was occupied for seven years by the British, going back to 1776. Uh, there were draft riots during the Civil War that tore the city apart. We had a horrible pandemic 100 years ago. Uh, the city went through an economic and, and crime malaise of almost 20 years. So, I, obviously, w- w- with a long game, I have to say no. Sure, we could go through a dip for, for uh, a few years. It, it could be longer than I expect. But I do think that the appeal to New York from people coming from all across the world who want to come here will always uh, will always be there. And so for every person who wants to leave, there's two or three people who want to come here and, and make a start here. And In some ways, a malaise gives people a little bit more of an opportunity. I mean, I have, I have two cents to, to rub together to move here. When, and when the city is a gilded city, it's harder to do that.
1: Great point. So as we wrap up, where can people go to learn more about you and also to be able to get your ongoing analytical updates, political buzz, which are always a pleasure to so, read?
2: So, oh, thank you very much. Uh, NY1.com. And we have a, a really marvelous app that I really, really want to promote. And we also, that app allows you to watch our all-new stations in cities from L.A. Uh, to to Florida all across the country. So if you're a news buff for another city, we have a station in Milwaukee. You can go right on the app and you you can, I don't want you to leave New York one too long, but you can <laughs> you can watch what's going on all across the country on our app. Uh, it's really, really fabulous. And I highly recommend it. Bob
1: Hart, thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI today.
2: Jeff, thank you so much. And thanks for thinking of me.
1: Thanks. Have a great day. You too. So. You've been listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live, as always, on uh, at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. I was just talking to Bob Hart, the political director at Spectrum New York One News, about the conventions and also about what we expect will happen tonight and in our second half hour coming up in a few minutes. I'll be talking to uh, another very insightful person who I just, uh, I think she's just so Savvy and so smart about these issues, Susan Del Percio, So she'll be on in the second half hour. But before we get to, uh, before I get to that, I want to just take a few minutes and thank you for tuning in and staying with uh, with WBAI uh, throughout the day, throughout our weeks, and throughout our history. Uh, as you know, or for new listeners who don't know this, we've been around for sixty more than sixty years now. You don't hear commercials. We're non-commercial. We are non-corporate. We uh, we enjoy bringing you in, in fresh insight and progressive insight. And this is a news show, but yeah, I do give my opinion often, uh, but I really want to engage a variety of guests on issues. And while I might not always agree with them, I have to say I like hearing their viewpoints because that's why I'll also often turn on Fox News or I'll listen to MSNBC or CNN while well, I'll read the Times, but I'll also consistently check out Nyaba stories in the Amsterdam News or I'll read the Independent. I, and, and that's what I love about WBAI is- we give you that opportunity to hear all these different perspectives. So if you are a new listener or you are someone who has always enjoyed WBAI, I encourage you in the name of this show, Driving Forces, or really of any show that you enjoy here on WBAI, to just show us a little love. And that means if you can contribute some money, just be able to support us a little at this time, that will help keep us on the radio. And I'm going to give you the number. So if you've got a pen or a pencil, or if you're at your computer screen right now, type this down, 516-620-3602. And let me give you that number again. It's 516 Three six zero two. You can also, if you're at your computer, it works perfectly. You can just go online right now. And that web address is give to, and that is the number two, give to WBAI.org, give to WBAI.org. You can give a one-time donation or you can do what I do and many of my friends do. We give uh, sustaining contributions. We are what are called BAI Buddies. And what I like about becoming a BAI buddy also is that if you give, for instance, a specific donation of, say, $35 – in the name of this show, you could also request a BAI face mask, which I've got two so I can walk around the neighborhood because I want people to know about WBAI and to tune in. And so uh, you can become a BAI buddy and that contribution just comes off your, you know, goes on your credit card each month of $5, 10 15 $20 if you're feeling generous right now. But let me just once again give you that number and web address. It's 516 516- 620-3602 Or you can go online to give2 to, That's the number 2 WBAI.org And you could do this in the name of this show Or really any show If you listen to Max and Murphy Who give you awesome political insight on Wednesdays In this time slot Then do it in the name of their show Or maybe Revolutions Minute Or Voices of Resistance Whatever show you like Or you could just do it generally Every little bit will help. So I really want to say thank you for tuning in this afternoon and thank you for your support of WBAI. You've been listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. And so now let's get to my next guest, Susan Del Percio, a well-known political strategist and crisis communications consultant. She's a Republican strategist, political analyst, columnist with about 30 years of experience in political, government, nonprofit, and private sector arenas. She's a trusted advisor who's helped leaders develop and execute focused strategic communications and winning crisis management campaigns her unique insights on government procedure, regulatory environments and public policy is highly sought after, particularly now with public affairs, policy and media so thoroughly intertwined. And just a little on her background, she also served as Deputy Commissioner in the Giuliani administration prior to founding her firm in 2001 and she also had served as a Special Advisor to Governor Andrew Cuomo in 2014 and while there she initiated a number of communications strategies and advised and developed policy initiatives and last night i was watching a town hall that she participated in led by the lincoln project where she and others talked about donald trump's threats to the country the lincoln project is focused on abolishing the president's chances of re-election so it is a pleasure to have her here on wbai susan welcome it's so great to be with you, Jeff. Thank you. I could have read your bio for an hour. I was ready to do that.
3: <laughs> so, well, that let, was very kind. I think what most people find interesting is that how I could work for Rudy Giuliani and Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, it, I think did. that goes to your earlier <laughs> message about it's important to serve and it's important to hear all different opinions.
1: So, and last I give night. a lot
3: of credit for doing that.
1: Thank you. Last night, you were announced as one, of, or yesterday, you were announced as one of the first wave of fierce women, I'm doing air quotes, to lead the Lincoln Women Coalition comprised of current and former Republican women who have had enough of this president. Talk a little about uh, Lincoln Women and Lincoln Project and a little about the mission, because I'd like our listeners to know about it.
4: Sure.
3: The Lincoln Project is dedicated to defeating Donald Trump in November, as well as Trumpism and we started the Lincoln women because we know that this election will be decided by women and we wanted to communicate especially to women who may have voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and say all right you did that but now it's time to look at his record and he's absolutely been a disaster for our country so come with us it's okay you have a lot of these other Republican women who are saying it's okay to come, you know, into the water, it's safe, and feel free to vote for Joe <laughs> Biden. Or at least at the very least, not for Donald Trump.
1: And last night on the virtual hall, you, similar issues came up. Talk about how you came together and what the coalition's going to do in the coming weeks and months.
3: Sure. Well, we we came together. Um, it was kind of organic at first. Uh that one of the founders, Jennifer Horn, was really committed to getting out um, our uh, voice to speak to women because, again, the Lincoln Project is dedicated to defeating Trump. That is our purpose. It's a political purpose. And she she recognized, she was a former um, chair of New the, the Republican Party in New Hampshire, that we've got to, w- women are going to be the ones who do this. So let's reach out. And through a wide network of people, we just were able to tap into these these wonderful, like like we say, fierce women. And on a basis of a couple of calls, we, we were all of a sudden all working together and, t- and moving in the same direction. Um, many of them are going to start writing op-eds. We are talking about the importance of language and how we um, present ourselves. We'll be doing a lot of uh, digital stuff. As you know, the Lincoln Project has done some tremendous ads. Some of those ads uh, certainly run on television and cable, but um, we also do a huge digital, have a huge digital present, and it's just taking off from there.
1: And I've asked uh, Bob Hart this as well, because I'm just fascinated when I hear different perspectives, But although sometimes it's the same. As you look at Um, You know, as you look at the convention this week and the convention last week and how both have had to adapt to this new virtual environment, how have they done? Have they made mistakes? Has this been fluid for you? Has this has it been been as inspiring as if you were in a convention hall?
3: Well, from a a production standpoint, meaning like kind of what you saw and how you took it in, I think the Democrats did a fantastic job because, frankly, they were preparing for it for months. Given the short time period, I think that the, um, RNC, the Republicans did a fairly decent job. The problem, of course, lies in the, the issue of using the White House, using the People's House as part of a political operation, which I, in my personal view is disgraceful. Um, the, the Democrats put a lot of emphasis on, on diversity and showing the character of who Joe Biden is. Uh, the RNC, the Republicans, knew they can't show Donald Trump's character because he has none. So they have woven together some kind of narrative that is not true and yet will, um, will play to their base. So I think both, both committees definitely played to their base. Um, one did it honestly and openly and the other one did it through lies.
1: And something you said in the virtual town hall last night, uh, which I do want to bring up, which is interesting, is that, you know, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but you had indicated that you hadn't supported him when he was uh, seeking the presidency. But at first, when he was elected, you thought, I'll give him a chance. Can you talk about that? And at what point then that just kind of, you know, totally, you totally changed your mind saying, I gave him a chance. It's not working.
3: All right, so this is true. There was never one point throughout the election that I supported Donald Trump. Um, I could give a million reasons. The one that just put me over the top and actually I was going on air and on television and the host of the show said, why are you so startled? And I said, because a candidate for president of the United States just announced a Muslim ban. I was so shaken, Jeff. I couldn't believe that this was happening in my country. So while I was never a fan, that certainly closed it for me. I did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. Um, I watched carefully as he put together a cabinet. He, I think a lot of people influenced him in a good sense to bring on people like General Mattis um, and all his generals as, as the president would say. And I always believe in giving someone a shot as president. I want my president, every day I want my president to succeed. So, you give him a chance. And he utterly failed us from almost day one. From I mean, I would like to say from his carnage speech, inauguration speech, but then things just quickly started going off the wheels. And it was clear that he had no ability to understand how government works. And that is showing now the danger of hiring someone, if you will, electing someone who doesn't know what the job entails and doesn't know how to use experts. Because now we're at such a critical crisis time with with a health crisis that is destroying our country, and this person in charge has no idea what he's doing at all. Many look at Andrew Cuomo, for example, and said, oh, he's doing such a great job. They knew it through the briefings. What people, what's really important is that Andrew Cuomo knew how government worked, so he knew who to ask what. And what he didn't know, he found out who to, who would know and brought them together. He, he networked our hospitals statewide, which has never been done before. And it's through understanding government you can govern well. And this president has not.
1: And as you've watched the convention this week uh, and, you know, and who has spoken and the messages that they've delivered, what's gone through your mind? Have there been standouts that impressed you or have you just been kind of fact checking them all along saying none of this is believable?
3: Um, when it comes to the Republican convention, it has been very disappointing. The, the one ray of light for me, if any, was Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina I think he tried the best he could to keep his message in a positive place on the issues that he cared about and what were Republican values. But he was the only one who talked about Republican values. Of course, no one could talk about Republican policies because for the first time ever, there was no Republican platform. Although I guess you could say, if you, how can you have a platform if you don't stand by any policy? It was very disappointing.
0: Yeah. And so
1: you say that because one of the pieces that I dove into today in The New York Times was similar to this about how the uh, the Republican Party is offering really no new platform. It's just about their enthusiastic support for Trump. A lot of the, you know, and I noticed this last night too, uh, including uh, what stood out for me was his press secretary. When she spoke, there's been a significant effort to humanize him because this really worked with joe biden last week um you know and as bob hart mentioned in the first half uh might have impacted how a lot of this week's speeches happened what has have there been you know when you consider the voters they're trying to appeal to uh now have these message are they playing properly to their base do you think their messaging is getting across
3: well here's the thing is their messaging getting across to their base sure he, Donald Trump needs more than his base to get reelected. And that's typically when we say in politics is about addition, not subtraction. So he should be. And that's why they showed some of the more uh, Melania Trump and and the press and Trump's press secretary, Kelly McInerney. They did try and humanize him. The problem is the man has no empathy. So it's very hard to do. They can try, but. There was no swaying any independent or right-leaning independent voters or moderate Republicans. It was not designed to do that. It was designed to harden up the base, which is a shame.
1: I will say I have found my jaw dropping a number of times this week. Uh, And it's almost always like a specific phrase or a specific word thinking, I can't believe you just said that. But then I step back and I'm like, yeah, of course I can this week. Uh, You know, when I hear things like the China virus, uh, it -hmm. it just it really just sticks with me. And I've talked about this on the show before. Um, I have felt there have been, you know, so many. Uh, distortions of reality this week that I, that I'm like, if I'm seeing this, why, you know, why are people not, you know, people must be absorbing this and understanding there's just a lot that is not in reality. Do facts seem to matter
3: this week? No, but they haven't mattered since he was, since he ran for office. And that's the thing about this convention. People are saying, Oh, who's going to, you know, how we're going to remember this convention with this president the chaos president this will all disappear by by tomorrow morning because there will be another crisis that he will be created by this president the storylines change you know jeff you know from your background we used to follow stories for at least a couple of days when they were <laughs> yes. huge major stories that you know imagine the senate intel uh, committee coming out with a bombshell report like they did last or last week I think it was I'm sorry if my days get a little confused um <laughs> it was that would have been the headline news for for two weeks i uh, it barely made it in for for 20 minutes so these 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 things that are said they they just they go into the air but what happens is, is that when you start talking to people they say yeah i know And if you go too hard after them, they think you're attacking them for supporting Donald Trump. They also say, I know they say the craziest things, but I like his policies. I would counter with, what policies do you think he'll actually stand by that he wouldn't turn on a dime? He has no convictions or core values. So, of course, he's not going to stand by anything and he'll change if he thinks it'll make him more popular.
1: And when you look at the consistent attacks on the the progressive, uh, the far left, um, and I I think of, you know, I look at that now and how consistently that has come up and also what is going on in Kenosha uh, right now, you know, I – these moments, such you know, such as the uprising in in Kenosha, are these an opportunity for him to kind of solidify his base and then broaden it by appealing to people who are undecided, to think yes, he's law and order, he's going to bring us back to some sanity. Uh, uh, I don't even know if sanity is the right word, but you know where I'm going.
3: Yeah, um you know, I think that is going to totally boomerang. Um this this appeal that he's trying to make, especially to suburban women. He likes to call them housewives, which I don't think has been a term used in fifty years, but um to suburban women as this law and order president. He's creating the chaos. He's the one who's throwing gasoline on a fire it's happening under his watch and more importantly and most importantly we are at a great point in our in our country's history where the majority of people are seeing the issue of social injustice and they are with the peaceful protesters and people know it they you know donald trump treats everyone that they're as if they're as stupid as he is and that he just if he found out about something he could go oh no one else knows this well we all know it we've all known it for a long time jeff And now the country is unified behind it and suburban women get it and they see what Donald Trump is doing as a way of stoking a fire, not tampering it down. And I really believe this is going to hurt him much more than help him with the few people in his base.
1: And what do you think will decide this election? Will the economy be the primary issue uh, where we are regarding COVID-19 or will it simply come down to the candidate himself?
3: Uh, I think this will be a referendum on Donald Trump. The economy will certainly play a part of it, but also the handling of coronavirus and his incompetency. Um, You know, we we, we all got out of the prediction business after 2016, but I think a clear indication is show me where children are in October, mid to late October. Are they in school or are they virtually learning? Has the virus become more threatening or less? And that will give you an idea of how tight this race can potentially be
1: and are you are you paying close attention or rather where should what states should our listeners pay close attention to
3: well the the three states that Trump won um, that gave him the presidency Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania um, right now, the Trump folks have basically written off uh, Michigan. And to a lesser extent, Pennsylvania. But Trump did do very well in Pennsylvania for different reasons than him winning the other two, Michigan and Wisconsin. Wisconsin is going to be tight, I think, even though some of the polls have Biden ahead. North Carolina is in play, some say. I, I'm not sure. I've seen the polls tightening on that. The other state to watch is, is Florida. I mean, as the old saying goes, Florida, Florida, Florida. And that's because all Biden has to do is keep the map, everything the same except for Michigan and Florida, and he gets to 277. So those are the only two states he has to flip.
1: I had I had read that Hillary Clinton, this was a piece in Politico, Hillary Clinton said that if it's close, and we're going to quote her here, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch and if we are focused and relentless as the other side is. Your thoughts on that? Well,
3: um, I, I, I think – we don't know where we 're going to be, so I think that's a little dangerous and not dangerous but um I would argue if there is a if there's a clear victory for Joe Biden, obviously he'll still have to fight Donald Trump for it. If there is an overwhelming which i don't see happening victory for donald trump i think don I think that Joe Biden will do the respectful thing and and, and call it a day but if there's anything in between. Both candidates are going to fight it tooth and nail, as well they should. There is no reason, especially since we know absentee ballot will be ballot mail um, will will uh, have such an impact on the race in such big numbers. It's possible that you have half the votes on the day of the election and the half other half from mail-in ballots. And a lot of states, Jeff, don't let you count those ballots until 48 hours after the election. So they have to go through the process of counting them and it will take time. And Joe Biden should stay in there if there is any viable path whatsoever.
1: So I've got just about a minute or two left. I just wanna go to kind of uh, to, to local politics here. Um, sure. I'm sure you're also looking uh, at what New York City is going to be like over the next uh, year as candidates ramp up their campaigns for mayor, council, and other positions. There was this piece in the Times uh, uh, this week about whether New York will be seeking an alternative to you know, the establishment or white candidates that are running for mayor. What are your thoughts on this? What do you think is going to happen?
3: Well, I think, Frank, anyone who's been part of the establishment and the and teaming up with Mayor De Blasio is going to be in a lot of trouble because you won't be able to shake him. He has somehow managed to not just dis, not just to have people who didn't like him before dislike him, but even the people who like him dislike him for the way he's handled the coronavirus. So the city is in is is going to be in dire straits for for many years to come. That's not to say we won't overcome it, but it's going to be a test of leadership and I think anyone who's been part of this time of of trying to do things during the coronavirus to ha- with Bill de Blasio is going to be hurt, so that's Corey Johnson, for example. I think looking forward it's 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 going to be who has the best qualifications to get the job done and who's a good manager and that's what I think even in a primary, you will see that happen but i and I do think that the it's most likely that the next de- mayor will be a Democrat.
1: Always good insight. Before I let you go, where can people go to learn not just more about you, but then also where can they go to learn more about the Lincoln Project if they want to get involved?
3: Oh, sure. They should go to – just bear with me. I wasn't prepared to have that <laughs> off the <laughs> top of my head. So um, there, we, is, there, there will be some announcement about the, the um, Lincoln Women, but for right now, people should go to – lincolnproject.us that's lincolnproject.us and if they want
1: to know more about you how can they follow you or learn more about you
3: Oh, follow me on twitter is the best way delpercio s d-e-l-p-e-r-c-i-o-s
1: Susan Delpercio thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI today
3: thanks so much Jeff great to be with you
1: Thank you. So we've got just a few moments left. want to remind our listeners that we're going to continue to cover the Republican convention later tonight and uh, throughout the next few months I will be continuing to bring you guests to weigh in as often as I can on the uh, race for the presidency and of course we'll start to segue at some point into the mayor's race here um, teaming up with my team on Wednesday nights, Max and Murphy uh, so we can bring you all of those mayoral candidates. want to you again. Here are the details once again, if you would like to contribute, and I encourage you to. And remember that, BA, that WBAI branded face mask that we have for only a $35 contribution. But you can give any amount right now, $5, $10, $15, every amount happens. Uh, counts for us. 516 three six zero two that's our call center where you can donate but you can easily just go online and it's really easy to navigate to make a contribution and become a bai buddy and uh, that uh, web address is give to wbai.org again that's give to wbai.org we are if you're new to us you don't hear commercials. You may hear us promoting each other's shows and our shows, but we are non-corporate. We're non-commercial. We've been around for 60 years, and we want to be around for 60 more. So I want to thank my guests today, Bob Hart uh, from Spectrum News New York One, as well as Susan Del Percio to talk about the Democratic and Republican conventions. Uh, I'm a little interested or very interested in seeing... Uh, what happens later tonight when the president delivers his remarks. Coming up this Sunday, I will be back at 10 in the morning for City Watch, discussing two urgent topics, the census and hunger issues. I'll talk with Amit Baga, Deputy Director of the New York City Census 2020 Office. Then my former WBAI co-host, Joel Berg, is going to be back on. He's going to talk about an issue he cares about, hunger and security, because he's the CEO of Hunger Free America, and he's always insightful. And then I'll up the show by discussing the importance of arts and music education with the head of education through music, Penny Swift. And then the next week's driving forces, well, get ready. We're almost going back to school. What's in store for New York City? What are the challenges? I'll have an expert from Advocates for Children on as well as other guests to so talk about what's in store for the new academic year. I want to thank you again for tuning in to WBAI 99.5 FM. Have a great day.
5: Once every 10 years, America mounts a census and attempts to count every single person living in the country, citizens and non-citizens, immigrants, documented and undocumented alike. This is an extremely difficult goal, even under ideal circumstances. And even as the actions of the current U.S. government has created fear and uncertainty that all but ensures that many immigrants will stay in the shadows, too terrified to risk contact with any governmental official, census takers included. However, by law, namely Title 13 of the US Code, the Census Bureau cannot release any information about you, your business, or your immigration status to law enforcement. So step out of the shadows, stand up, and be counted. This is a public service of WBAI Community Outreach.
6: Are some words that matter to all of us at WBAI, listener supported, commercial free resistance radio. Hi, my name is Catherine. I'm host of Heart of Mind. Please take a minute to consider what your radio landscape would look like without this station. At WBAI, we consider you a part of our vital community, a vital cog in our radio wheel. At WBAI, we keep it grassroots. We're powered by your generosity, not corporate interests. Remember to donate by visiting give2wbai.org, or pledge right now from your smartphone by texting WBAI to 41444. We thank you in advance. Activist Sharon Salam speaks out for WBAI.
4: We should be moving forward, collecting the fines that we need to make sure that our station is whole and that it can do its job as it has done for me in the past. When all of this stuff happened to me many, many years ago in 1989, I didn't get very many opportunities to speak out in regards to the wrong that was done to my son and the other boys in the Central Park Jogger case, as it was called at that time. Very few people stepped up. Yes, Like It Is was there, WBAI was there, and a few others, majority of those stations that let people like myself speak and tell them what was going on on the other side Those stations are gone. If we lose WBAI, where do we go to get our words out? Where do we go if you've been arrested unjustly? Where do you go if someone's taken your children unfairly? Where do you go to seek justice? We must keep this station alive. Alive. WBAI.
6: This is listener-sponsored, locally-controlled WBAI
0: New York. All right, and the previous program was Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons, and that's heard Thursdays at 5 p.m. here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and WBAI.org online. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News coming up in this hour, followed by Justice Matters with Bob Ganji at the bottom of the hour, otherwise known as 630. If you it.